Uh, last Sunday, uh, we started a, a new series uh, on marriage. And I want to take a few minutes just to cover uh, something that we started with last week uh, because uh, I think it's important, and we won't, we won't do this every week, but I wanted to do it for, uh, for one more, uh, is that whenever we do a, a married series, I find that there uh, can be kind of a, a visceral reaction amongst a, a couple different groups of people. And uh, one, one is divorce people. That marriage series can be, can be really hard if you come uh, from a divorce background. And there are times... Uh, when we are lifting up marriage and we're um, giving advice to married people that you can kind of feel uh, like indicted uh, or, or judged. And I just want you to remember as we're going through this series uh, that this is a series about marriage, uh, not, not about divorce. And I would, I would guess if uh, you are a divorced person, I would guess you want uh, the people in this room to have the healthiest marriages possible. Uh, that, that, that would be my guess. And so I just want to um, encourage, you, encourage you with that a little bit, that there will probably be uh, some things in this series that um, are, are difficult and hard. And I, I've talked to a few divorced people uh, last week that um, articulated that, that it, some of it was hard to hear, but they, they really want to see the marriages uh, in this church be strengthened. And then the second group are, are single people. Uh, and there's uh, single people uh, that are looking, and I want you to know that this series, I hope, is really helpful to you uh, as you're looking for a spouse to, to kind of have some things that you should be looking for and uh, the type of person uh, that you should be looking for. And then there's single, and I'm never doing that again, ever, right? Um, I'm never getting married again. And uh, I want you to know that there are uh, a lot of ways to apply this series, especially our message today as we're going to explore the idea of love. There's a lot of loving relationships that we're called to. And so we're going to apply this toward marriage, uh, but you could, you could apply this in any other uh, number of directions. So that, this is the last week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, but I, always, I wanted to just address uh, people that, that this doesn't exactly fall the way I intend for it to fall to, uh, that, that there's a lot of kind of baggage and a lot of pain that sometimes surrounds this idea of marriage. So we wanted to address that from the beginning. Uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into this, all right? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for today, and uh, we thank you for your gospel of love. Uh, I pray that it would find uh, its way into every relationship that we have uh, and find its way into our marriages. We thank you uh, for Jesus. And uh, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question. What is love? Uh, what does it mean to love? Uh, that there is, um, uh, I, I found a kind of list on the internet of uh, a group of elementary kids that were asked this question. These are a couple of my favorite answers. It says, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over to paint her toenails. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. That's Rebecca, age eight. Uh, Terry, age four, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Uh, Danny, age seven, love is when my mom makes uh, coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. <laughs> Emily, uh, age eight, love is when you kiss all the time and then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together so you talk more. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. Um, Tommy, age six, uh, love is like a little old woman and little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. Elaine, age five, love is when mommy gives uh, daddy the best piece of chicken. Uh, Chris, age seven, love is when uh, mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says that he's handsomer than Robert Redford. Mark, age six, love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and doesn't think it's gross. I, I don't think you ever get to that spot, but I... 
why you have doors on bathrooms, but uh, Jessica H. A., you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it, but if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. And th those kids have it pretty close, I think, don't they? Uh, that our, our culture, uh, I think, has a lot of misunderstandings of love. That, that one of the misunderstandings, misunderstandings of love that our culture has is that it is primarily an emotional feeling. That our, our culture tends to view love as an emotion. And so when you're feeling that emotion, everything's great. But when you don't feel the emotion of love anymore, a lot of times that's the moment that we end the, the relationship. And listen, there is an emotional quality of love, but it's just not the primary way that the Bible uh, describes love. Our, our culture also, I think, tends to view love in an overly sexualized way. Uh, that I think about my dad. My dad just turned uh, 70 last, uh, the, the week before last. And in my dad's lifetime, being 70, he has seen our, our media go from a husband and wife not even sleeping in the same bed to what we have on television right now, right? And, and that's, that's in my dad's uh, lifetime. I was reminded of how sexually charged our culture views everything as we were flipping through the channels the other day, and I came across the show Family Feud. And I used to love this show. I, I admit I haven't watched it in a long time. Uh, the last time I watched it, the guy from Home Improvement was, was hosting it. So it's been quite a while ago. And Sam said, oh, I want to watch that. So I've kind of paused for a minute and we're watching it. And I was just blown away by how sexually charged that television program is. And uh, we, we ended up having to turn it off. And, you know, I didn't want Sam to hear some of that. And listen, don't misunderstand me. God invented sex. We understand that, right? He didn't create Adam and Eve, leave the room for a minute, come back and say, oh my goodness, what are you doing? Sam, stop, right? God invented it. And because of that, it's a good thing, but it is one component of a relationship. And that component of your relationship is gonna ebb and flow depending on the stage of life that you're in and what's going on in your life. Sickness, stress, other factors can affect it. And that's when other components of a healthy relationship kick in and kind of save the day. So our culture has overly sexualized the idea of love. And then also love can be seen as a grand gesture in our culture where, think about the show Bachelor or Bachelorette where they're trying to choose a spouse and they're taking them on airplanes like all over the world and they're having all of these kind of grand moments and then they end up picking someone that they're going to marry and as soon as the show ends, they almost always break up with the exception of like two or three times because life is not a series of grand gestures. Uh, life is, love has to be figured out how to do it day to day. We have to learn to, to love day to day. So with that being said, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to ask you a question of what if love is really more of a choice? Uh, most often the word uh, for love that is used in the Bible is the word agape. And it carries with it, this agape love carries with it the idea of choosing to do what is best for the relationship. So most often when the Bible talks about love, it will talk about it as a choice, that I am choosing to do what is right and good and noble for my relationship. So think about this in terms of the gospel, that God saw us separated from him, and Jesus chose to do what was right for our relationship with God, because our sin was separating us from him. And so Jesus chose to do what was right for our relationship, and he went, uh, he went to the cross and paid for our sins. There's a couple of very important 316s in the Bible, uh, that, that described this. John 3.16, uh, put on the screen for you, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then there's 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
So we want to have John 3.16 marriages that are impacted by this gospel of love, and that love just kind of overflows into our marriages and, and, and into every relationship that we have. But in order for it to flow, we have to understand that love is not just an emotional feeling. It's not uh, to be overly sexualized. That love is a choice. It is a choice to do what is right for our relationship. So we're going to study this idea of agape love. The most famous passage of it is the passage I had you turn to, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, This is uh, the love chapter of the Bible, right? And it's a list of attributes that talk about what love is and what love isn't. We're going to talk about what love is because I think it's a little bit of a positive, uh, more positive thing. And what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of walk through some of these attributes of love. And, And I want you to ask yourself as we're doing this, am I loving the person in my life this way? And if the answer is no, and the answer is probably going to be no on, on, on a couple of these at, at, at a minimum, because none of us are perfect when it comes to love. If the answer is no, then this beca- becomes the battleground for you to put your effort into. Uh, and, and we sometimes kind of bristle at that, that when we think about the gospel of grace, sometimes we think that the gospel of grace teaches that there isn't any effort on my part. And the truth is, the gospel says that Jesus paid it all to reconnect me to God. But when I, when I enter into a relationship with Jesus and I'm so moved by his love and his grace and his mercy, there is this grace-driven effort that, that begins to take place. That because of his grace for me, because of his love, because of my appreciation for it, we strive to be like him in our relationships. So yes, this is going, love requires effort. Marriage requires effort. It is an effort that flows from the grace and love of our Savior, but it does require effort. It it does require work. And so we're going to kind of walk through this text. Do I love this way? And and if not, this is is the place to put our effort into. Um, And so here's the first thing Paul says. Love is patient. Love is patient. Later on, Paul will say, love is not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. Uh, the Greek word for the, the word patient there, it, it's the idea of long-suffering. That, that, that you, you uh, now not obviously there are some things that we don't put up with in, in a relationship, like uh, abuse, uh, physical or emotional. And if, if that's happening in your relationship, I would encourage you to, to get some help. Call the church office or call a friend or whatever, get some help for that. But assuming we're not talking about that, Paul's advice is to be long-suffering, patient, not prone to anger. And you know what biblical patience is built on? It's built on the idea that God is not done yet. That the person I'm married to and, and, my, and, and uh, the person I am, we're, we're not exactly where God wants us to be. It is a process. Marriage is not a completed process. There's more work to be done. There's, there's some stuff that maybe bugs you about your spouse. Guess what? There's some stuff about you that bugs your spouse as well, all right? So, so, but none of us are a completed project. Think about it as a renovation at your house. When you're renovating the kitchen at your house, you end up eating out all the time, and that might bug you for a while, but you know a, you know a beautiful kitchen's on the way. Uh, you know a beautiful kitchen is coming, so you're, you're patient. And listen, um, we have to be wise about how we do this, because what I know about some of you in this room, some of us in this room are stuffers, all right? In your marriage, you're a stuffer. And here's what I mean by that. There's something that really bugs you about your spouse. Don't look at them, look at me, all right? (laughs) There's something that really bugs you, but you've just been stuffing it. And maybe even for years and years, you've stuffed it. And then all of a sudden, something happens, and it all comes out. And all of a sudden, everything they do bugs you. And you have a really short fuse. Listen, they might have a really annoying habit, but you probably should have said something like five years ago. 
Uh, we have a rule in our house that if you can let something go in marriage, you should. If you can let something go, you should. But if you can't let something go, you should say something. And you have to be wise enough to, to know the difference. It's not fair to the relationship to allow a bunch of stuff to build resentment. So say something. Now, listen, if everything, if you're saying something about everything and everything is bugging you, you have to think about that. You're not very long-suffering, right? Squirting the toothpaste from the middle instead of the end is not a 10. And for some of you, that's a 10. And it shouldn't be a 10. The way your spouse mows the lawn should not be a 10, right? It's okay to say something, but you want to say something and keep, give it a matter of perspective. So the grace-driven effort is if something's building resentment, if resentment is building, say something. But if you can let it go, show patience. And both require effort. So if you need to say something, say something. But if you can let it go and if you can be patient, you can understand someday they're going to learn how to do the toothpaste. In Jesus' name, someday they're going to learn. <laughs> right? If you can let that go, and that's just a silly example of it, but if you can let that go, you should. Here's the other thing Paul says. Love is kind. Later on, he will say, love does not dishonor others. These are cut from the same cloth. Kindness has to do with the way that I speak to my spouse. Honoring has to do with the way I speak about my spouse to others. Listen, every eye. Dishonoring your spouse to others is a really bad idea. Really bad. And I understand why people do it. They're frustrated. They're fed up. They're looking for people to get on their side. Can I tell you human nature? When you vent about your spouse to other people, 90% of those other people are lying to you. They are agreeing with you uh, because they think it's what you want to hear and they're nice or they're your friend or they just want the conversation to end. Um, but what you are doing is sowing seeds of discontent in your marriage. When you dishonor your spouse to other people, you are sowing seeds of discontent. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. You're practicing discontentment. You're, you're practicing discontentment. And you are called to kindness. Now, you might feel like you married Hitler or the ball and chain or whatever joke that you like to make, but you are called to kindness. And I know I've walked through enough rough marriages with people to know that this is hard, but as a Christian who has been moved by the kindness of our Lord and Savior, we have to choose kindness. And if you are in the worst possible marriage scenario, and I would say the worst possible marriage scenario is that you would say your spouse is now your enemy. That's the worst case scenario to me, that you would say my spouse is my enemy. You know what Jesus said? Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. So sarcasm, name-calling, finger-pointing, they are just not helpful. And, and, and you are practicing. You're, you're, you're practicing discontentment. And you know what else? You know what the cool thing here is? You can begin to practice contentment. You can practice kindness. And so our grace-driven effort is to look for ways to be kind. You can do this. Say, there's a lot of water under my marriage bridge. No, you can do this. You have been moved by the kindness of our Lord and Savior. We all ought to be grateful that Jesus doesn't give us what we deserve. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we have been moved by his kindness. So you're going to practice kindness this week. That maybe it's a note, maybe it's a Facebook message, maybe it's flowers, maybe it's arranging a date night. Practice kindness. And you say, if I, just do, if I do that, they're, they're going to just come at me and say, what do you want? Or they're, they're going to be sarcastic about it. 
That's them. You are called to practice kindness. Here's what uh, Paul goes on to say. Love does not envy. This is one of those extremely subtle things that can come between a husband and wife. And I I find that usually it it is so subtle, but usually it has to do with a a couple of things. One is uh, that one partner makes more money than the other or is getting further ahead in their career. Um, Sometimes it will be the relationship a spouse has with a parent or a sibling, and some jealousy or some envy begins to to take place. And I find find that when I do some marriage counseling, a lot of times it's not even recognized that this is the source of the problem, that a sense of envy uh, has found its way into the marriage. The the flip side of this is Paul says, love love does not boast, because sometimes when we feel envy, This is the solution that we go to, that I'm going to make myself feel better by highlighting my accomplishments, by highlighting my relationships, and and boasting just continues to separate us from our spouse. So the grace-driven effort is I'm going to celebrate the success of my spouse. And I think this is one of those keys to marriage that is not talked about very often, but it is having a celebratory attitude toward your spouse that I I am going to be proud of them. I'm going to celebrate their accomplishments. I'm going to celebrate their relationships. I'm going to celebrate when they begin to get ahead. Paul goes on to say, love is not proud. The Greek word uh, for this is translated in the King James, love puffeth, puffeth up not, right? Love does not make oneself uh, bigger. One of the greatest pieces of marital advice that ever uh, I think has been in the Bible is from the Apostle Paul. And he said this, we're going to talk about it more next week. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The best marriages are the marriages where both in the marriage are trying to outserve each other. That we're not puffing ourselves up, we're actually lowering ourselves to be a servant. That's when marriage works best. And the kind of counterexample of this, and don't run too far with this, but the counterexample of this is that it's actually the devil. <laughs> that at one point he was an angel worshiping God, and at some point he puffeth up, right? And uh, he decided that he was the one that should be worshipped, and he wanted to be God. And so a a battle began to take place, and God ended up kicking Satan out of heaven. And the advice here is simple. Be careful in your your marriage to not demand that you be worshipped. Be careful to not demand that you be worshipped. Your spouse will serve you. You need to serve your spouse. And that's the grace-driven effort, is find ways to serve. You, You know them. You know what works for them. So this week, find a way to serve your spouse and lay down uh, your life for them. All right. Not that, not, not that all of these haven't been a little bit tricky, but I think this one can be kind of hard for some people, depending on your personality. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Everybody in a marriage makes mistakes. We all make mistakes, right? Turn to your spouse and say, I've made mistakes, right? You know, we, we, we've all made mistakes. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In your marriage, someone's going to say the wrong thing. Someone's going to do the wrong thing. Someone's going to make a mistake. Where I see people begin to give up in a marriage is when they, don't, when they begin to feel like that mistake will never be forgiven. And it will always be brought up. And that's when I begin to see people give up. Now, they've repented of it. The issue's been addressed, and that is important. Their spouse has said they forgive them, but it still comes up in conversation. It still comes up as, as ammunition. And when I see that begin to happen in marriages, I see the, the, the offending party, the person that committed the sin, I see them begin to give up. Well, I can never win. 
This is never going to be let go. This is, there's always going to be a record of this wrong. And man, let me tell you, as people that have been moved by the grace and love of our Lord and Savior, we need grace to flood through our marriages. Because your spouse is going to make a mistake. You're going to make a mistake. But love keeps no record of wrongs. And so the grace-driven effort here is if it's been repented of, and you've said you forgive, and it's been addressed, because it needs to be addressed. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But here's the grace-driven effort. And this is going to be hard for some of you. I'm going to stop bringing this up. I'm going to stop bringing this up. Because it is, it, it, I have kept a record of this wrong, and I continue to bring it up, and I can see my spouse moving away from me. I can see them distancing themselves from me because I continually bring this up. Notice the grace-driven effort was not, hey, forgive. Because I think forgiveness uh, can, it can be hard for us to get our minds around. The grace-driven effort is I'm going to stop using this as a battering ram. I'm going to stop bringing this. I'm not going to keep a record of the wrong anymore. Here's the last one we'll cover. Love rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. With everything we said um, love is not a doormat. Love, love does not refuse to ever say anything. Love is not a wallflower. Love rejoices in the truth. Love speaks the truth. So one of the things that was said about Jesus is that he came in grace and truth. Love brings what is true to the relationship. In kindness, in grace, but love brings the truth. So some of you, there's a tension in your relationship right now because there's something unspoken that needs to be spoken. There's a truth that needs to be said. It's something like, I'm concerned about your drinking, or I'm concerned about how much time you're on your phone. I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on the internet. And we think that keeping the peace, that, that, that what it means to have a great marriage is just to keep the peace, but you don't have any peace. You're seeing this thing, and it's being destructive in your spouse's life, and you're just trying to keep the peace. The grace-driven effort is to speak the truth in love. Not to speak the truth without love, to speak the truth in love. And some of you, this is your next step. This is your, your thing. You need to have an awkward, potentially difficult conversation. But if you do it in love, it will go much better. So our culture has this view of love. Sexually charged, overly romanticized, emotional. And we, see, we say these things like, all you need is love. And listen, that's true. All you need is love. But love requires effort. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not proud. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It rejoices in the truth. And love works every single time that it's tried. Love is what your marriage needs. Love is what your spouse needs. Love is what you need. Love is all that we need, but it is going to require effort. It is going to require sweat. In Jesus's case, it required his own blood as he laid down his life to, to, to be loving. I want to use an illustration that I've used with you before, but it is, it is like that little kid going to the shore to, to get a bucket of water and the wave just crashes into it and the, the bucket flows over and over and over and the little boy has a hard time even carrying it back, back to the shore. That's what grace is like when you have your little bucket and you have been overwhelmed by the grace and love and mercy of our Lord and Savior. It is going to fill your bucket and overflow your bucket and that's going to fall into every relationship that you have, especially your marriage. It requires effort though. It requires letting some things go. It requires speaking some truth about some things. It requires lots of patience and kindness. But I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, it is worth it. 
It, it is worth it to lay your life down. It is worth it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for Jesus, and I want to thank you for his grace and his mercy. And I just pray as little kids at the shoreline uh, that we would be overwhelmed by your mercy and by your love, and that it would flow into every relationship that we have. I want to pray that if there are relationships in this room that are being affected by uh, a lack of kindness or a lack of grace or a lack of patience, uh, that we would begin to let those things go and we would recognize that I gotta put some effort, I gotta choose kindness, I've gotta choose patience, I've gotta choose these things and that our first um, line would be to fall in love with your gospel, would be to fall in love with your grace because that's where we learn um, how to love. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. We're gonna stand and sing a song. And uh, I'd love to, to pray with you uh, if you have any prayer requests or prayer need uh, as we sing this song together.